You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hello, Served Up community. Julie here. I am so excited today to introduce you to Virginia Akar, founder of Girls Inc. of Miami. Virginia shares her personal story from years in law as a prosecutor working in the juvenile court system right here in Miami to raising her kids and getting that aha moment when she realized it was her life's work to pay it forward for young girls, setting them up for success as future leaders of our community. This episode, you will learn all about Girls, Inc. and the incredible work that they do, partnering with the Miami-Dade Public School System, providing after-school coaching and mentoring to girls, and teaching imperative social and emotional skills. Now grab your favorite non-alc drink, listen to Virginia, and get inspired. Virginia, thank you so much for joining us on Served Up today. We are so excited to get to know you better and for our audience to get to know everything that you have done um, to empower women. Thank you. It's really great to be here. Um, really an honor to be here speaking about um, the work that we're doing um, for girls and our future women. Yes, absolutely. Future women. And Virginia, so today is a very special day as we were talking. It's International Women's Day. And I know we've been flooded with so many inspiring notes. And and what did you say? It's a great time to be a woman. Elaborate on that, please. It is. Well, you know, I'm in my fifth decade of womanhood. So I was around when, um, you know, middle school, high school, even college years, women weren't taught to be supportive of each other. And the competitiveness was, if you ask me an unhealthy one, it was um, more of this cutthroat idea that if she elevates, then that means I'm below and that can't happen. So I have to keep her down in order for myself to rise. And and that's not good, right? We were, I feel at least for me, um, the messaging I got back then was not one of support other women. And, you know, it was, it was very catty. So when I say it's a great time to be a woman, I feel like that has changed for sure. For me, you know, the, the networking, the networks that I have of women is completely different, uh, even within my family, you know, the women in the family and, and certainly professionally, it's a different environment now. Yeah, it is. It is really special. And I, I feel the, the same way. And I didn't know if it's just this period or my age at this point or or what it is. But I do feel that camaraderie um, with other women and that we're all kind of uniting in a way that we never have before. Um, so did you grow up with a lot of sisters or a lot of women in your life as yeah. a child? 
No, I am the youngest of three and I have two older brothers. So I grew up, you know, fighting every day. I grew up in Canarsie, Brooklyn, um, where, you know, I, my recollection of my childhood was just playing outside all day until it got dark. And then you went in, you ate dinner, you took a shower and you went to bed. That was my childhood and it was great. Um, so yeah, no, I didn't grow up around a lot of girls in my family, but um, it was the, the kids that we played with competitive, like in sports definitely competitive. But I have to say, looking back on that, that was a healthy competitiveness. I remember um, I was always a good runner. And my best friend back then was also a really good runner. We were always neck and neck. And if one of us beat the other, it wasn't about, we didn't talk bad about each other. We were like, ah, next time I'm going to get you. It wasn't, there wasn't that negativity. I think it started later, um, maybe in the high school years is, you know, I remember the friendship circles were great. I still have really great friends from high school. Um, but generally speaking, I think it, it was a different atmosphere when we talk about, you know, how girls treated each other. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Cause I, I feel the same. I grew up with, it was just me and my brother and I never had sisters. I had a cousin that was a sister, but I I've always kind of longed for that sisterhood. You know, I think when it comes to sport, that competitiveness is really healthy. But then at some point, like, why does it shift, you know, and, and it becomes specifically for girls um, more than boys? Like, what are your thoughts around that? I've thought about that so many times, like trying to understand why when you look at, at guys and the way they treat each other in a game, um, you know, I saw it, my two boys, very athletic sports all their lives. And if somebody pushed them in a soccer game, right? Like I would be so offended by that. And I'm like ready to pounce. And then like, I didn't, I'm not one of those moms. I didn't pounce, but I wanted to. And, you know, my son, I, you know, we talk about it in the car. He was a little kid and he's like, what? Like didn't even like so intentionally pushed you. That was such a foul. That was so bad. You know, and it's like, you know, <laughs> didn't even like, didn't register. And I, I don't know why that is on this, like, don't do this to me. I, I'll get you back, you know, one for one, tit for tat. So I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but I, I can tell you that maybe because I'm older, I don't know, self-awareness, social awareness. Um, I don't feel that anymore. I, I really feel that, um, that and it, it took a while to trust it. And so I got out of the game for a while. I took like a 12 year hiatus from a career. Um, I spent those years raising my kids, like really making a career out of being a mom. So getting back in, you know, imagine that's a lot of time to be out of the legal profession. So my thinking was, oh, this is going to be brutal trying to make my way back in there. And it wasn't, you know, people were more than supportive and offering different suggestions and help and women. It was through that, that I started realizing there's a shift. Something has changed since I was back there working as an attorney back in the nineties. Um, this is a different, a different environment now. So I don't know the reason for it. I know there's been a lot of conversations around it, right? People are fine. I think social media and just access to the internet and information, people are communicating more. And just knowing there are other people out there that feel the way you do um, is, is empowering. Yeah, I agree. I think there is this um, authenticity that's coming out and not everybody 
has to portray that they're perfect, right? So I think um, women are being a lot more open, but I can definitely relate with your experience with your son because I have a son as well. And there are things where, you know, it would bother me so much or I'm overanalyzing and he's like, I didn't even, I'm not even thinking about that, you know, and, (laughs) and there's something so refreshing about that. But I think it also, because we have those traits as women, those can shine in different ways, right? And and maybe not in a situation like that where we take things personally and emotionally, but when it comes to business, I think that those are ways that women shine because we are women. Yep. I couldn't agree with you more. And it's why I truly believe we need more women in positions of leadership, not because we need to tick off the numbers, balance the scale. It's not for this like, random idea that it has to be even Steven. It's because we bring really needed voices, ideas, ways of dealing to the table, whether it's a corporate table, um, you know, a nonprofit table, whatever that space is, a country, right? A government Mm -hmm. table. It's so important because I I think innately women are, we, we see more than what's in front, the bottom line business, we tend to bring in all of the external factors, stakeholders that are playing a role or will have an, be affected by whatever decision is made here. And not only will those stakeholders be affected, the company will be affected. So we don't think of just the here and now. We are considering all of the people You know, Mm -hmm. so if if you're leading a corporation and it's only profits that you're, that's it. This is, you know, it's a for-profit company. We're only dealing with the profits and you start making cuts here and there. I understand the cuts have to be made, but how you communicate the purpose or the reason for those cuts is so important. And if you're not thinking about that, you're changing the culture and how your company is viewed. And that's going to affect the bottom line. It is. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I truly believe um, it will come. You know, I think women are rising, not enough, not at the speed I'd like to see, but it's a natural necessity and people are finally starting to realize it. Yeah. Now you make a, a really great point. It's, it's that diversity of thought and it's thinking differently and it can still be about the bottom line ultimately, but the messaging and the communication and and the thought put forward can make all the difference in the world, right? It's it's not just the action, but about how it's um, how it's done. So you, a big part of your career was in law, and I've heard bits and pieces of your story that that's what inspired you to doing what you are doing today with Girls Inc. and and helping that next generation of future leaders, women, chiefs. So tell us a little bit about that journey and and what was it during your time in law that that really made you want to do what you're doing today? You know, it's so funny because it was in in hindsight that all of the pieces suddenly fell together and I understood why I was driven toward this work. So I started out um, as a prosecutor, Dade County. And I did that for about four years and everybody does a round in juvenile. You have to do that. You do your six months in juvenile. Most prosecutors, I think it's safe to say, um, don't want to stay there. You do your rounds and you get back to felony because that's where the exciting stuff happens. I liked it there because um, there was a judge that is still, you know, we're, we're still good friends and he's had such a great influence on me. He was 
he saw the child in front of the court. He didn't see the name, the number, the charge. Um, when you're standing there as a prosecutor, you have a child. And back then, I think I had my first baby, an infant. So I couldn't relate to the age of a 10-year-old. But this child is in front of the court and these adults are reading charges and talking to him like, what do you want to do? And of course, he has a lawyer and all that. But even that's so bizarre that a child has a lawyer on a criminal charge. And then they have services, you know, and guardian ad litem and caseworkers and all these people. But they keep coming right back through. So this revolving door. So all of these different things that are put in place, you know, to deal with a juvenile, it's not working. So this one judge um, was really creative and everything he did really made sense to me. You know, you do your rotations, you have about five or six judges there, but this one, he just wanted to help the kids. Like really, it really shined, it showed. And so I started working with him to get creative in, in crafting decisions, whatever, um, you know, results that made sense for the child, given the circumstances surrounding this child. So we really looked into the families and all of that. So I eventually left, but I didn't know it then, but that really stuck with me. And I left, went to felonies eventually, then a little private work. Then I stayed home with um, my second child and then eventually had a third and that was it. And I stayed home for 12 years. So that experience in juvenile that sat with me and then raising three kids with access to every resource I needed from people from things, from information, finances. I had every resource available to me and the ability to stay home. Wasn't paying attention, mindful of that at the time. But as my kids got older, went to school, then left for college, all of this is, set, you know, it's all playing around in my mind. Like, okay, so you raised three great kids. They're really great. They have everything they need to launch. Now what? I was 48 at the time when my second child left for college and my third one really didn't need me, super independent. So I said, all right, time to go back to work. Was not thinking of juvenile. None of this came together yet, but I, I said, all right, I'm going back. I'm going to get an LLM, Master's of Law, it's just to be relevant. Went into intercultural human rights. And I did that at St. Thomas Law School here in Miami. And that changed everything. That's where all the ahas happened. So I was sitting in a seminar and that, you know, there's social justice all over that. You're, you're dealing, working with all of the different um, conventions and treaties that are designed to protect people and human rights, right? Basic human rights, not necessarily encoded in law. This is an idea. It's a human right. So it was a seminar in women in poverty where it dawned on me, okay, that's what I want to do when I get out of here. I don't know what I'm going to do with that, but it's women in poverty. That makes no sense. What a, what a dumb concept that in so many countries, women aren't allowed to be educated and therefore not part of the workforce. And those are the countries that whose economies are suffering. So why, why don't we have more women in the workforce? So I knew that it was for me in my mind, I wanted to work with girls. I wanted to start at the base level where we could see change later on and have the change continue from generation to generation. And obviously education is the great equalizer, but everybody here gets educated, right? This is a country where we're fortunate to have that. So how come we continue to see these cycles in certain communities? And that's what I set out to find out. So I did about a year and a half of research, talking to different stakeholders, parents, teachers, principals, community leaders, um, to really understand what's going on. Why is that the problem? And what I landed on was it's not the building, it's not the school, it's not the books, it's not the teachers, it's 
other stuff that girls in certain communities, when they're growing up with disadvantages, are forced to deal with all of these additional adversities. So living in poverty, that has a huge toll. Um, exposure to violence, in food insecurity, housing insecurity. So how do you ask a child who's experiencing that to just come to school every day and focus, do your work? How do you expect that? It's, un, it's an unreasonable ask. For me, it was okay. We can't wave this magic wand and suddenly change the environment. But what we can do is teach them coping skills and really bring the support and access to information and resources in a safe space where girls are supported enough to start looking into not what they don't have, but what they do have and focus on that and start that mind shift to, I can do this, this, and that. I can see myself as this, this, and that. And to do that requires a lot of moving parts. So role models, you know about that and mentoring. Through our 150 Women Strong, we made sure that that would always be a component where we are bringing in front of the girls, um, women whose lived experiences and life experiences reflect their own. So we're not looking to bring in, you know, the perfect woman who had the perfect life. And we want women who are going to tell inspiring tales, inspiring stories about challenges, about failure and resilience. And that's been going great. Um, And then we use what's called social and emotional learning skills to really teach something so important that um, I think people are finally becoming aware of mindfulness, paying attention to what your mind is paying attention to, clearing your mind, but knowing what your mind is paying attention to. And when you can do that, then you suddenly become so aware of your thoughts. Are they negative? Why am I thinking negative thoughts? Your behaviors. Why did I just do that? If you can get to that point, then you can start to control what you think, what you say, what you do. And we're seeing that beautifully in our girls. It's incredible to to see it. We have weekly conversations and they share what's been happening in the program. And I have a book full of exactly that proof that the concept was right. Our theory was right. When you can do this for girls, everything changes. So I graduated from that program and decided, okay, it's a girls program I want to do. I started looking at what's already out there that's really good. And it was Girls Inc., the national organization. I reached out to them and they sent me, it's like a hundred page document said, okay, here's what you need to do to be a Girls Inc. affiliate. I'm like, all right, we don't even have a program yet, but this is great because I'm going to use this as a roadmap. And we did exactly that. So we got a a group of, I think we had four or five board members initially who were just passionate and believed in the idea. And we used our little roadmap for about three years. And then we contacted them and said, I think we're ready. And they agreed. And fast forward to end of 2020, we affiliated. So that was was really exciting. Um, You know, in hindsight, I can't believe we did it. Like, I can't believe this started. My daughter will tell you it started as an idea at the dinner table because I would come home and talk about it and annoy the heck out of my family because I was obsessed with this. But then it came to fruition and that that's pretty incredible. And more you know, important to me is to see now, and I, I say now because we've been doing the work, but it takes a few years to get it right. So I'm not going to lie and say, we got it right from day one. We did good from day one you know, programs were good and the girls stayed enrolled and all that, but we pivoted a lot and we added a lot and we altered a lot 
in response to what was working and what's not, you know, I'm, you can't, and it's not a one size fits all. So from area to area in Miami, the programs vary a little bit. The needs vary, the interests vary. So um, today um, we're seeing, I, I swear it was like since January of this year that I saw a tremendous shift, not only in the girls, but our facilitators. And that's key because from day one, I always insisted that the most important part of this model is the trainers, who you hire, what their background is, are they passionate about this and are they trainable? Do they want to learn this material? Do they want to invest in this? And yes, 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 yes. We found the right people. The training is great. It's working. And yeah. It is. So. And and I and I know because I, I had the um the privilege of going to one of the schools um to the Beacon Preparatory mm-hmm. and got to hang out with the girls there. And I was just so impressed with the facilitator and and her her education and, and just her passion around and so impressed with the girls. I mean, they were, they asked really thoughtful, meaningful questions and shared a lot about what they do. Uh, I was a little intimidated by answering some of their questions. So <laughs> they can I'm do glad. that to you. <laughs> yes. Yes. They would, you know, and, and if I said, you know, I, if I changed the answer, they would call me out on it. And they're like, wait, <laughs> you said you were 40 and now you're saying you're 42. And I'm like, well, same thing. I'm in my forties. Um, but they do listen and they're so engaged. And I can imagine that, you know, I think, I think that's another quality about women and, and women leadership is that you have the ability to, to shift, right. And, and to pivot. And there's, you know, the world as it is today with, you know, all these children going through COVID and, and having to come back and being out of school, how did that impact your organization? Um, being that you do partner with the public school system. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So that's exactly what we do. We're affiliates with Dade County Public Schools. So uh, we have an affiliating agreement. So when March came around, I don't know if you were here, but it came right during spring break, the pandemic when everything shut down. So timing wise, we were fortunate if you can look at it that way, because it gave us two weeks to figure it out, right? Because programming stopped and everybody was taught. My my daughter was a a teacher at the time. And she said, um, you know, you can use um, Microsoft Teams, Google Classroom, and because she had to shift. And I'm like, I don't know how to do any of that. How are we going to do this? And how do we get the girls... She, along with my other facilitators who were also teachers at the time, um, helped us out. And together we figured it out and we continued program. We shifted to virtual, uh, honestly, without missing a beat. So the two week period of spring break, um, obviously we didn't have programming, but that's when we figured it out and set ourselves up and our teachers were ready, willing and able. And we said, okay, let's do this. And we did. So it looked a little different, obviously, and the need was different. So our teachers got back to us and said, girls are really just scared and they're, they don't know what's going on. And, you know, this is not like an exciting thing for them. This is not like a snow day, right? Where you get to stay home because it's snowing. This was a big deal. And families not working was a big deal. And the conversations they were hearing at home were frightening. So we asked our teachers, okay, so what, what do you think would be the most helpful? And they said, let's just give them space. It's comforting to them to see their friends on a screen and to know there there's some continuity of something 
that they had before. So let's give them space to just go air it out, say it all. This is a safe space. And that's what we did from um, April through the end of the school year. And then summer came around and we were still pretty much locked down. And our teachers asked if we could continue programming. So we were lucky. We asked some of our funders and we're like, because that's not, we don't normally do summer programming. Mm. So we, we were supported. Um, the Kirk Foundation came through for us and gave us funding. And we went ahead and said, all right, we're doing summer programming. And now they wanted something that was fun because there was this idea that it's summer. This isn't school. They need fun. Like, okay, what do they like? What do they want to do? Experiments. They want to get their hands dirty. Like, oh my God. Okay, we can do this. So we bought, we had an, a fantastic intern who has since gotten her doctorate degree, um, who was a big STEM girl. So I ran it by her on like ideas, thoughts. And she said, let's do science projects. I'll put together a curriculum. You get the supplies. We'll mail them out or deliver them, whatever we have to. So we did just that. She created um, a nine-week curriculum of activities that we still use because they're great. So we did everything from making like a little camera, you know, that can actually take pictures to flubber to building a bridge that could sustain things, all kinds of, you name it, we did it. We mailed home (laughs) packages and I delivered with my intern as much as we could around the area boxes full of things like vinegar, baking soda, markers, pipe cleaners, string, all these different things that we needed for all those experiments. But it worked. That sounds so fun. I would love to do that. And me too. So it was just like a little, so they looked forward to that time during the summer when they would meet for one, an hour, 90 minutes and together do these fun little projects. So that's how we got through that period. And then school started, we stayed virtual. Um, and then when everything opened up, we shifted right back to after school. I, I would, I will say though, that not every program was able to sustain the virtual model when school started because the schools were so understaffed and teachers, we didn't lose our teachers that we, we, in the beginning, we hired teachers from each school and that was still the model back then. So we didn't lose them, but the principals needed them for other things in the after school time. So. We lost one school during that time, one of our after-school programs. Um, but then we picked it back up when schools opened up again the following year. And yeah, so now we're back in action, you know, back to in-person. And it's great. Still, you know, in the beginning, we had to take all the safety precautions and we did. Um, but, you know, for the most part, schools have been great, you know, very supportive. We work together. We, you know, we're, we're partners with the schools and the families. Families are you know, grateful to have a space for their daughters. They know us now, you know, long enough. And they know that they're in a safe, supported space where they're not, um, you know, they're not spending their days just doodling or babysitting. This isn't babysitting where, you know, we actively teach really important skills and, and we give girls a chance to be girls. And so far, so good. You know, things come up. Like I told you, you know, every day I, I have we call them huddles with our facilitators and there's always stuff, but we troubleshoot and it's great. We also have an on-call therapist who volunteers her time and it's called um, Ask Dr. Abby. That's her first name. And it's on our Slack channel. So, because there's stuff that comes up way beyond my training, my skill set and beyond Mm -hmm. our facilitators training. So they drop questions in there with situations. And I just watched that and I'm like, how is Abby going to deal with that? I wouldn't know where to begin with that. 
And then I see and I'm like, brilliant. You know, I love so, that. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. That's incredible. I mean, I just think of how valuable that would have been for me when right? I was a young, you know, <laughs> teenager trying to figure things out. And, you know, you have that relationship with your mother, but that's obviously a mother daughter relationship, but just to be around, you know, role models and, and mentors. So I'm a part of it, but tell our listeners, um, about the 150 strong mentors that you have as a part of Girls Inc. Yeah. So that I'm so proud of that because women have signed up, like really signed up and and dived right in. So we this was the component, this would fulfill the component that we always knew was important. Women in front of our girls telling, sharing stories, experiences, um, to make to, to give that visual of, I could do that. I could be that. That makes sense. If you don't envision it, what are you working toward? It, you know, there's this idea that I, there's a barrier. I can't do that. That's not me. That's for other people. So we started that program and it's called 150 Women Strong. And we ask women from the community, from all backgrounds, uh, stay-at-home moms, corporate chiefs, um, mm-hmm. all, all different phases of life, to sign up and visit our programs and share wisdom, advice, experience, conversations with our girls, um, and then make themselves available should the girls have a question later on, because we found that that was happening. We always had speakers come and present. And then I would get messages from our facilitators. Hey, our girls have questions for so-and-so who came. Can we get her back? And that's hard, right? To coordinate a complete visit back. But what if we had women on call, so to speak. So Julie, you visited a program, you know, if somebody had that question after the the thought of, because something else came up and it triggered, uh, you know, a memory of when you visited, how great would that be if you were there and you could respond? So that's why we started that. And so far it's been great. We have once a week scheduling to not disrupt too much in programming, but our calendar is pretty much booked through April with women visiting programs and the girls love it. You know, we, our programming meets five days a week for two hours at a time. So it's a lot. It's 300 hours a year. So that's a lot of, you know, consistent programming. And intentionally, you know, we do it that way, but it's great to have just a variety throughout the year. And so it's also a networking opportunity. So we quarterly have events where the women in this group, because you're already so like-minded, you're passionate about this mission, um, we thought it would be a great idea to have just a social networking event where you get to meet some of the girls. And I think, you know, we did our first one in, in December at a store as an Alice and Olivia shopping event that was also a fundraiser, but our girls were there and our teachers were there and they talked about, you know, why this program is important and needed. And that's the best way to get out our messaging. It's not social media, it's stories right from the mouths of the people that are right there doing it, learning it. So it's a really important component. Um, I hope more women continue to join. We have, I think we're up to 58 and we only started to push this in the fall. So I think we'll get those 150 by the end of the year. Yes, I have no doubt. And we're looking and you're looking for local within the Miami area. Cause I know girls Inc have, um, they're in different locations, but yeah. this is specifically for girls yeah. in Miami. This is Miami um, for a couple of reasons. One, you know, the visiting and the engagement. We want to make sure that the women are actually 
engage with the girls and Zoom is not that easy to do anymore when, you know, they're actually in person. Um, and then to really create that relatability. You know, this is a woman in Miami, not Minnesota, not California, not New York. She's right here doing this work right here. I want to know more about that work. So, so that's why we limit it to Miami, but there are um, 77 affiliates. Um, they don't all do this, but I'm sure they do different versions of this throughout the country. And, and I think that that's what's so special is that it is, there's such a local component, you know, and, and even the school that I chose to go to, um, Beacon Preparatory, you know, it's not far from where our offices are in Miami Gardens. And I just feel like it's, it's so important for me to really be a part of the community and give back in any way that I can. Especially, you know, to girls knowing that when I was that age, I would have loved something like that, you know, and, and it could have helped me in different ways. Um, so I just I commend everything that you're doing. And and how can people get involved? I know you have a big fundraiser, an annual fundraiser coming up. And, yep. you know, tell us a little bit about that and kind of the support that you need to to do all the things that you want to do and continue building off of what you've started. Yeah. So yes, May 14th is our third annual benefit. It's called Bling It On. Um, Bling because it started as a jewelry concept. You know, the event was all around jewelry and it was held in the jewelry center, the Seabold building in downtown Miami. And that was great. It was a private shopping night on mm -hmm. a Saturday night. Um, but we kept the Bling It On idea, always playing with that theme. And this year, oh boy, do we have a, a fun one planned. It's an outdoor um, at our home. Um, pickleball, putt putt. You know, we have a four hole putting green, billiards, ping pong. So a lot of just fun sneakers encouraged. It's nice. not, it's the ungala, right? So for that event, um, really a lot of cool activities and, and ways to win different prizes during the event. Um, but we're getting really bold in our ask this year. You know, in the past, we've been kind of because we were like launching like startup mode. We were kind of, you know, making small asks and, oh, would you, you know, contribute this much? But now we know, we know what we're doing and we really know how impactful this is and how needed it is out there. So we're asking people to really join us and move that needle, like really help us get this program in every school in Miami. Why not? It's needed. I can prove to you, you know, the impact that it's having. We're excited to do our first data collection this um, spring. In one's coming up in April, another one in May. So we'll have hard numbers for people who like numbers. But I always say, let me tell you the stories. Hear it from our girls. Hear it from our moms who are telling us how important this program has been for them. So for this event, we have a, an incredible sponsorship package out there. And we're looking for people to really partner with us and get serious about uplifting girls and making sure that we're leveling the playing field so that looking into the future, the, the workforce looks more equitable and more represented. So Miami's I, 70, 77% Hispanic, I believe. Are there that many women in the workforce in high positions in Miami? What about the tech field? And what about African-American women? Why aren't they represented? And you, you have to look back at, you know, systemically, well, were they prepared and were they given opportunities to enter those fields? We're doing that. So our algorithms program, which is another incredible, innovative program funded with the support of Boeing. Very proud nice. of that. 
um, you know, that's a STEM program that's designed to, from fourth grade, third and fourth grade girls are learning concepts uh, of basic STEM concepts, but through this idea that everything can be looked at as an algorithm. So they're doing physical fitness and all of these different activities through the lens of an algorithm. And they will tell you what an algorithm is and what, you know, engineering, what does an engineer do in physics? And would you sign up for that in middle school? Oh, yeah. Before they wouldn't. So we do a lot of important work that I've never felt so confident about, you know, as the founder, you know, this is my baby and I'm, I'm cautious to, to say, oh, we're solving the world's problems. And, but even in the beginning, until you really hit that pivotal moment where everything's working, you know, you, you got it, you know, you finally have this machine that is now ready to scale. I didn't feel that way a year ago because there were things we were tweaking. We were, you know, even the structure of who we hire has changed. And we were right on the second round of how we do that. So we're ready. So how can people help join us? Like really join us. We're doing the good work out there um, and it's needed. And if this is your community, you should care not only about the girls today, but what this community is going to look like 10, 15, 20 years from now. When all those tech jobs are here, who's got those tech jobs? We don't want to leave girls out of that. A hundred percent. I mean, I think just, you know, the fact that you're teaching them, you know, so much of the, the social and emotional learning that you don't technically get from a school curriculum. And I've recently discovered the public, the Miami-Dade public school system. I had my son in private school, you know, up until this last school year. And I respect the public school system so much, especially Miami-Dade and, and how they, um, the public schools have such a central role in the safety of our children, right? Especially going through COVID and shutdown and, and how they really check in on the kids and to have an afternoon program that elevates it to, you know, an, um, an after school program that elevates it to the next level where you're teaching these core social and emotional skills that, frankly, as women, even if you're coming from a more privileged area, you don't get that exposure mm-hmm. until you're, you know, maybe coming out of college or high school. And it's usually through mistakes <laughs> that Correct. you learn, right? Yep. You know, and I think you make up a, you make a great point. You know, Miami is just booming now, right? Everybody's moving here. It's supposed to be the new Silicon Valley, all these tech companies. And, you know, what are, what are the ways that you're reaching these companies and making sure that, you know, they are not just coming here to be in Miami and, you know, right on the coattails of the growth, but actually investing in the community. What type of outreach programs are you guys doing to connect with those people? Great question. And that's something, so of course, through Boeing, Boeing has been great, um, believing in what we're doing and wanting exactly what we want, breaking those gender barriers, barriers and stereotypes. So that's been incredibly supportive, but we're, we're trying, you know, we're knocking on doors, trying to get that opening to, to showcase what we're doing. You know, we, we're inviting government leaders, come see these programs, look at what we're doing and support this because our girls are your future workforce and you want girls in the mix. You definitely, especially in the STEM field, right? Mm -hmm. Because of what you say, right? We bring in that other perspective. And because these aren't just girls who are going to be, you know, purely STEM or tech, that's, you know, one of the things we do, 
they're also social and emotional leaders. Like they Mm -hmm. know they have this self-awareness. They can read a room. They can um, communicate effectively. They have incredible conflict resolution skills. So that's who you want in your company. Um, We have not made significant progress opening those doors because I can tell you we are we're still tiny but mighty, right? So we're a staff of four, not including our facilitators. So we don't have like a pure fund development team that's out there that falls on me, but I'm also doing programming. So there's a lot of division um, within my time and, and mental space. So, you know, I welcome the opportunity to share, sit down with any of those companies that are now calling Miami home and excited about it to understand that calling Miami home, like we love our home. I've been here, you know, since 1979. So we welcome newcomers, but don't just come and, and, you know, do your thing in a vacuum, incorporate and get to know Miami, get to know our, our schools. Like you say, you know, I'm very proud of Dade County Public Schools um, for, for giving us the space, right. To be able to do the work that we do and understanding the importance of after school programs. So my hope is that they're listening, that they're watching, that they'll come to events um, and see for themselves why it's important to support programs like ours and others. There are so many nonprofits and, and after-school programs doing incredible work. Like I'm so proud to be in a city where not only are there a lot of nonprofits doing great work, but we support each other and we collaborate. We're not competitive. Um, you know, sure, we all compete for the same dollars, but ultimately we share resources with each other. That's the Miami I know and love. And, and I would love to see, you know, all of those new companies coming in and doing that, having that same culture of engagement. Yeah, and I think that, that it, it's not only the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do, right? And, and as we talk about innovation and everybody's talking about the metaverse and web 3.0 and, and this zoom world, it all comes down to community and that's what people want, right? It is, you want to be a part of the community and the community needs you, um, as well. And, you know, you're dealing with real lives, you know, this is the future. These are these young girls that are just soaking up everything that they're learning from, you know, people like you and, and the 150 mentors that they're just set up for success. And, you know, I just hope that, that you continue to get that support and, you know, and, and hopefully having this out there and um, sharing your story will, you know, further enable these big companies to really step up and, and be a part of the community instead of just, you know, coming in yeah. on the community. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, Julie, like I, you know, the, it's not lost on me, the irony that for me, I, I'm one of those girls, you know, I, I did not grow up the way that my children grew up. So I grew up in a very poor neighborhood in Brooklyn to immigrant parents who had no education. So we moved to Miami beach and education still wasn't pushed in my house. Like I wasn't expected to go to college. I was actually told, why are you going to college? You're a girl. The difference for me were my peers. Being around, I went to Beach High, where everybody went to college. You know, you're you're at Beach High. That's all they talk about. And SATs. I was like, what's an SAT? And I'm like, I guess I should take this. And I applied myself for college with no assistance. Right? I applied for grants with no assistance, knowing you know where I came from. And 
I, the trajectory of my life should have been one thing and it completely went a different way. And when I look at why was that? So I had the fortune to be thrown into a mix of peers where I, I was exposed to different possibilities. The girls that we're serving are living in silos. You know, when you're in a community where everybody is, you know, pretty much the same, whether they're struggling or their educational backgrounds are the same, where's the idea going to come from? Where are you going to get this vision of what you could be? So for me, this is, it's such a natural progression of who I am as, you know, a person from childhood to now, the experiences that I've had in life, the, the fortune, fortunate situation that I've had in life. It's such a natural, like, this is where I was supposed to be. Like I landed, I got here. So happy to be able to do the work every single day. I mean, that's, that's so great, you know, to, to just hear your upbringing and, and how, because of the environment that you were around and the community that you were around inspired you to, to do more than maybe what was expected of you and, and have a successful career and education and, and all of that. And, and that is, you know, something that keeps me up at night is just, you know, why do we have to have certain areas where people, you know, they're just um, so underserved. And, and then if you just happen to be in this area, you have more exposure to, you know, a, a different away. way of life, a mile away, you know, a, a couple away. blocks away, right? When you think of the development of Design District and now Buena Vista, and then you just like go to, you know, a couple blocks west and and now you're, you know, in a, in a place where people are dealing with poverty, you know, yeah. and it's, um, it's really sad, but what I love about your program is, okay, maybe we can't like pick everybody up and move them, but we can go to them, you know, and, and we can be there because in the end, you know, it's not about the building you're in. It's about the people yeah. that are with you. Yeah. And there's no reason why we can't, you know, there's no reason why we have to stay on the other side of the road a right. mile away and, and feel hopeless when we can actually go and, right. you know, spend that time. And I find that people want a vehicle through which to do that. Mm-hmm. That's why we've gotten so many volunteers, you know, left and right, not just through 150 women, but volunteers for a lot of different things. People want to be able to do this. You have to give them an opportunity that's clear, right? Something that makes sense, organized. And, and we do that, but people do want to, I don't want to just say help. People want to make a difference and they're doing it. And like you said, that's what it takes. Go there, go into the communities, the schools and, and serve and do it consistently and do it through quality research programming, do it well and listen, you know, listen to what's working and what's not. Don't be tied to this idea that you had of what is needed or what should be done listen, like open your ears, your eyes. And and that's really all it takes. It's not complicated. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Listen to the girls. They know what they want. They're very clear with that. Well, you know, you are such an inspiration and I'm just so thankful to have met you through chief and, and be a part of 150 women strong and, you know, committed to getting the word out. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually quite excited that I know it's just been, you know, about four years since you've been able to to get your playbook running. And I'm just excited to be a part of the machine that's now running and, yes. um, and getting all of these uh, these big corporations to come in and, and help and, and serve their community. I don't think it's a big ask at all. Especially if they come see our programs. I invite them all the time to site visits and we do get some. 
Um, but we could do more. We could definitely do more. So yeah. yeah, but thank you for this. Thanks for giving me the space to share about the work we do and how important it is. Absolutely. Well, thank you for all that you do. And we look forward to hearing more about it and um, have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Thank you so much, Julie. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!